Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning and hello once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. Another week of American tennis, and we are right in the middle of well, I'm I'm just glad we're playing. And I'm glad the college seasons are underway and uh it looks like high school seasons are uh, underway. I don't know how long it'll be before they start allowing fans to come back and everything, but tennis is uh, a little bit on the upswing. I don't know if it's going to be able to take on pickleball. I never thought I'd say that one in my whole daggone life. But uh, I'm not a pickleball fan, but it's uh, it got it's got people out there playing and just – I always say uh, easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. Hard to pick up is hard to put down. Uh, Tennis is always going to have an audience. Pickleball, we'll have to see how that one works out. But anyhow, we are back, and uh, I'm glad that we are able to start doing our programs again. And uh, I always try to get a lot of coaches on the the show because coaches – been there, done that. They've got all the T-shirts, as they say. Um, but I always try to get coaches on the program. There is – listen, I'm just going to – this is an opinion. But what we're doing a lot now in management is instead of getting the veterans that have been there and have done that and have been in the trenches, we get people from the outside a lot. I mean, they're they're using these daggone hiring firms, and they'll hire maybe for – in athletic departments, instead of coaches, they're getting business people or lawyers or people like that, and it just doesn't work the same. And uh, I, I really, this is a whole topic of conversation. We might have with Coach Thompson some of this because we're we're not going to badmouth anybody, anything, or any place. I always say, say. Uh, stay professional, say the things you want to say, just don't address people or, um, you know, if you stay professional, you can say pretty much anything you want. But I think that our athletic departments need to take another look and make sure they get people who have been coaches because they've been in the trenches, they've got all the wounds, they have seen just about everything. People that come from the outside, they might be uh, you know, people that can make money and things, but uh, we really do have to get back to the place where college sports especially are uh, en- uh, education-driven, not entertainment-driven, and I've got a lot to say about that. And um, we've got Coach Paul Thompson with us today, and uh, doggone it, Coach Paul, i got to start by telling the story about how long ago was it? It was 25 years ago I first met you at the Waffle House. No, not 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 quite that. But don't age us that much, Chuck. It's uh, no, no. It, it was well, I know it's 2002, 2003, it, somewhere in that range. So it's May, been about 20 it, years 20, ago. Call it 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. 20, 20 years. 20 years. Well, it all runs together. But uh, 
20 years ago, folks, I got a call from a coach up in North Carolina there uh, from Brevard College, and he said, hey, coach, uh, could I uh, spend a little bit of time with you? So I think I was driving up to Tennessee to uh, see one of my youngsters or – uh, do some recruiting or something. Yeah. I stopped in a Waffle House, and we uh, we must have – I know we ate more than two or three meals there. <laughs> we, we sat there for a while, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. It was it was early morning, too. You were, you were coming through, and I think it was uh, I-24 or something, I-40, going up towards – you were heading towards East Tennessee or somewhere like that, and you, you sent me a text the day before and said, meet me here at 6.30 a.m., and – I got up and we met, and I think we were probably still sitting around there about about nine thirty that morning. Yeah, we we really were. Uh, I don't know, just a lot in common because in the introduction, as I was talking about, uh, so many times you um, you when you've been through something, you know what it's about, and you know what it's about to a level that other people don't, but. Uh, you were surely a person I'd sense from the moment I met you. You were born to coach. You were born to help people. You were born to motivate people and stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, I think this uh, was year 24 or 25 in college coaching. What was that for, for you? me? Um, yeah. No, I, I did uh, I did eight, eight, 18 years total between being an assistant coach and, and a head coach throughout okay. my time in college and, and three okay. years before that as a high school coach. So, Right. Well, that, that, that even makes it better. That even makes it better. We can talk a little bit about high school tennis. And I, I've labeled high school tennis as one of the sleeping giants of USA tennis that we're, we're uh, not getting to. But, it, it, listen, it, it's great to have you on the program. It's your program today. Uh, of course, the main thing we want to do is to promote your book. That's what I put in put in here. Um, you know, your book, your new tennis book, Standing Outside the Lines, but it's much more than a tennis book. And I want to go into um, what I loved about it is, I, of course, all coaches like the sayings. You've got great quotes, great quips, but also great messages in each one of the chapters. And, and I want to do that, but before – we do that. I, you know, could you talk a little bit about growing up? Of course, one of your first chapters in the book is about the sanctuary that you found in tennis, and and I think we all did to a certain extent. I grew up in Indiana, and we, you know, tennis. I I could go. I figured out with tennis, I could be as good as I wanted to be. I could go on the backboard, and I'd just spend more hours than the next guy. I could be good, be as good as I wanted to be. Of course, I was crazy about basketball and played all the sports growing up. But um, the sanctuary there, could you, could you, would you mind talking a little bit about your background growing up, how you got into tennis, and, and sort, of, sort of how you've made this journey? And then, you know, we're going to use more than half the program about your book, but we'd sure like to know more about you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I remember being, growing up in Birmingham, being – I don't know, four or five years old, and uh, you know the old heavy wooden tennis rackets that that were as big as I was. Um, my my step family, I guess at that point, um, were big into tennis. Uh, my grand step grandmother, I guess I call her my grandmother, grandfather. They were big into the USTA, and she did. Uh, you know, she was a, a chair umpire at the U.S. Open back in the '60s and '70s, and they're, now they're both in the Alabama Tennis Hall of Fame. So they had a, had a huge career. Two or two or three of the brothers, I guess, would be my uncles, played college tennis at I think Tennessee and Southern, uh, maybe Southern Miss. So I was exposed to it early. Um, I play, you know, I had some stop gaps as as I went along and, and loved it. But I, you're talking about the backboard. I mean, that was that was one of my best friends growing up. I mean, I I never I don't ever remember beating the backboard because the ball always came back. But um, it was, it was, I remember, you know, standing at Overton Park and then going to Mountain Brook swimming tennis when I was a kid and doing lessons with my aunt and clinics and stuff there and that kind of getting into it and playing up until I was probably eight or nine years old. And then uh, I had a little break in between. I don't remember what happened while I got out of it and got back into it when I was 13, 14, started playing in high school again. 
and uh, realized how much I'd missed it. And, and that, that just there's, there's two or three places in my life where I, where I feel I talk about the sanctuary. And, and one of the points I make about that is the sanctuary not being a safe space, but a place that we go to learn and go to teach and, and where we kind of just feel at peace. Um, it's not a place where we go to hide because, you know, as well as I do on the tennis courts and, you know, there's challenges that you've got to overcome and, and, but it was, it was always a place to where I felt comfortable. I felt productive. I felt, uh, it, it, it inspired me to be out there and, um, it, it was fun. I, I guess for a lack of lack of a better way, and I you know I, I did all the other sports too, soccer and basketball, and yeah, football, football for sure, probably you know, of course football in in Alabama. Come on, man, what what else are you going to do? Well, so. yeah, no, and and that's and that's it. Got to that point, Chuck. Is like all the you know the guys that I was playing with when I was younger, and then kind of growing up a little bit. You know, they kind of weeded out, and I remember the one time there was there was nobody that I knew they were all playing basketball or football or whatever else. And, uh, but you know, there were points in high school though, that we had, we had fun. Um, I remember going to Homewood park and, uh, there'd be me and, and six or seven, or eight other guys, a couple of them were football players. And, you know, I was with the high school tennis team or whatever else. And we go to Homewood park in the mornings and draw up a little bracket or whatever else, or, you know, the, the park director would draw up a bracket for us and we play a little mini six, seven, eight-man tournament in the morning and go hang out at the swimming pool all afternoon. Um, you know, I don't, right. I, don't, I don't think those days are very popular no. with a lot of players now, but, I mean, that's just kind of where, where it was when I was yeah. when I was a kid growing up. As you're talking here, I'm making a few notes and thinking about things that um, uh, you say that are, that are interesting I'd like to go into. And parents out there that are listening to the program, you know, I always try to, I, I just my look. My son's in baseball, and as long as I've been, I've been in sports uh, tennis for forty-eight years or something. But the bottom line on this is that I'm a beginner when it comes to baseball, uh, understanding a lot of it. And I just we need as parents, we need a few little tips on stuff now. And and uh, what was is curious what you just said. A lot of the kids started being weeded out, and and I had a similar situation, and uh, all sports have a similar situation. I think when sports start getting harder, whether it's the Peter Principle or whether sports get start getting hard, tennis, tennis. Let's face it, all the parents out there, tennis is a hard sport. It's like playing the violin. It is not like playing the tuba. Or you know the I hate I'm not cutting on other instruments, but it is the hardest sport, and uh, you're going to lose a lot. Hard to pick up is hard to put down. But t- um, talk a little bit if you can uh, about the age you think that kids started uh, were weeded out, and uh, I know why we're where we're going here with this. I'm just sort of trying to ask you there. Um, why did you stick with the sport? And uh, when when people started quitting, usually it happens around fourteen, fifteen, right yeah, around puberty, was, isn't it? Yeah, the, the middle school around middle school there weren't there weren't many right right players. None, none of my friends were playing. Now you know I, I lived pretty close uh, to the Highland Highland Golf Course uh, where they you know they had courts and programs running there. And I wasn't doing a whole lot of lessons and playing a whole lot of tournaments and stuff at that point, playing for the, you know, the school and playing some pickup matches and stuff. Cause I just, my mother didn't know any better really. And, and she, we didn't know any better at that point to keep me in lessons and all, but right around middle school. I mean, I, that's, that's when I was looking for people to play with. And when, you know, I went to the, go to the, the school in my backyard, they had a wall down there that I would hit off of and, I can't tell you how many times I got yelled at by my mother for hitting off, you know, volleys off the side of the house and right um, in my right. in my playroom and in my and you know even inside the house when it was raining and you know we had one of those old houses that was built turn of the century and they had those plaster walls that you you know you hit the wall too hard with the ball you could hear the plaster cracking behind the walls. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't didn't make friends with my mom a lot of times on Saturday afternoons when I couldn't get outside. But, right. Um, right. I, you know it was something. That, even even that, I could do it by myself. 
you know, and and I, you've known me long enough to know I've been, you know, I'm I'm a pretty independent fellow, and tennis was one of those things that, you know, not to sound selfish or whatever, but you know, you didn't you didn't have to rely on anybody except your racket and your desire and your you know what taking care of what you could take care of on your side of the court and uh, court and having an opponent. That, that's right. That's right. Then, then I'd like to throw in there. You talk about the backboard. I ran into. I went down to our local park, uh, where we live, and I want to tell everybody out there. And I'm not. I want to give this guy a bump, but there was the best backboard I've ever seen. It was a tilted backboard, and the guy the, the it was called a realistic tennis backboard. R e a l realistic tennis backboard it was the best backboard i've ever seen and uh somebody put that up and this it's done by a company called good and associates good and associates but if you go to on court off court with joe denifer down there in texas he sells all the tennis garb you would ever want folks the tennis gadgets and everything but He's done that for a year, but it's the realistic tennis backboard. If you want something that's great for your youngsters, it's perfect. Paul, you hit it, and it's got a slant where when you hit it, it brings the ball instead of bounces and straight down, and you have maybe two or three bounces. It gives you just exactly what you want. It was crazy how 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 nice it is hitting on that thing, but the backboard <laughs> backboard still is probably the best. That's where most of us learned, wasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I haven't seen that yet. I, I'm going to Google oh, it and check it, that out. Look it up. Look it up. It's called realistic. It's it's really worth investing in if you've got a park court or anything. If you can afford it, get that backboard. It's really great. I I was mesmerized by it again. I go, whoa, here, wait a minute, wait a minute. My senior career is still going to work here. But, Paul, let me ask you something. Okay, so you got to be your best player in your high school and stuff, and then you uh, went on to I won't go that far. I, I won't go that far. There were some guys that were better than me, but um, got got to high school and, and, and played in high school a couple of years uh, for sure. Yep, yep. And and then you went on and and uh, continued with your tennis career and and uh, let's let's get on to coaching. You, you you became a high school coach though first. I mean, were you were you, you were teaching to see? That's what I started out wanting to do. I just wanted to be a high school coach. Did you start out? Right. Did you teach too? Yeah. Did, were I, you so I graduated. I had graduated after I graduated high school. Um, I had a couple chances to play in college and didn't end up getting up taking any of my scholarships uh looking back i was 18 and dumb and I, I probably should have but i just didn't and i ended up at at Sanford university and you know kind of hung around the athletic department and got to know some of the players on the team and the you know worked in the athletic department there so i stayed close to athletics and played some here or there but just some tournaments whatever i could find at that point um and i actually when i graduated from Sanford. Um, got out of tennis again, and then I started dating a girl that played in college, and she got me playing again. And we played some tournaments together, and I decided I was going to go back to school and get my teaching certificate. And, you know, we played, you know, mixed doubles and that sort of stuff, and I had a partner to hit with at that point in time. And the second high school that I interviewed with, um, McAdory High School, uh, just on the outskirts of Jefferson County, right before you get to Tuscaloosa, um, needed a special education teacher, which I was not certified for, but they needed a male in that position. And they you know, talked me through and, 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 you know, said there's one catch and we need a tennis coach. And they were like, do you know anything well, about tennis? And of course awesome, I, I, awesome. I played coy and, uh, you know, I was, yeah, well, you know, I know, I know a little bit. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it started. Uh, started the program. There was, there was a girl's program there, um, the courts were in horrible shape, and um, I know, I know, you know, you know, you know, Kemper Baker. Um, you know, he was at Stanford oh, yeah, University yeah. at the time, and and Kemper yeah. and I spent. Great he, man. he donated some old nets and old windscreens, and he would come out, and we pulled all the weeds off the fences and everything, and got it like a nice little tennis facility running out there, and um, 
I recruited some of the, you know, basketball and some of the other kids to come out and play that, you know, were non-spring sports and got the program going out there and then started teaching some lessons and doing some stuff um, with some of the local pros around Birmingham and Hoover, Alabama. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got really rolling into it. Well, that, that, see that the story, I hear the story a lot, same story in football and in basketball where coaches come up from high school ranks and they work their way up and then they get into the college game and stuff. And uh, what made you switch over to the college tennis area? Was it an opportunity that came up? I mean, all I ever wanted to do was to be a high school tennis or basketball coach. That was that was my well, dream. And, uh, go I, ahead. I was, in, I was enjoying the high school tennis very much. I enjoyed – a lot of the teaching responsibilities very much, but it became the, the politics involved with public education and sort of and that sort of stuff. It became, uh, it became kind of a bad taste in my mouth about some of the things. They that put I was a governor on your engine. Hey, we can say yeah. it. They put a governor on your yeah. engine. My wife, we we're talking this morning, and uh, she's a great, great teacher. But uh, public education is just right now, it's too much top-down, like most of our bureaucracies. And I I had a hard time with that. And and what I really wanted to do was, you know, teach and mentor. It didn't necessarily have to be history or theater arts or or whatever, you know, that I ended up teaching that I was certified for. But I wanted to, to, to be able to mentor and I wanted to be able to coach. And I felt like I could do just as much as a coach is what I could necessarily in the classroom. Um, and, you know, I had Lord. the opportunity. Yeah, Sanford was looking for an assistant coach at, the, at that time. So, you know, I talk about in my book that, you know, I gave up a, a full-time paying job. And I think it was, you know, at that point 20 years ago, it's $35,000 a year or something like that, and insurance and benefits and retirement to go to Sanford uh, as a graduate assistant on a $7,000 a year stipend with no insurance and moved into my grandparents' yeah. attic and uh, just, just took a chance. And that was kind of just the, a coach. Yeah. It just, just to coach and be a part of that. So that's, you know, it was a chance to go back to my alma mater where, where I went to school when I worked in the athletic department before, um, you know, it was, it was a roll of the dice. And uh, I, I was fortunate, was one of the fortunate ones that, um, you know, I, I had some good people around me and it surrounded myself with some of the, you know, better known uh, and respected teaching pros in the in the area um, and had built up a decent resume enough. And then, you know, Kemper and I think Terry Sisk was the was the women's coach there at the time at Sanford um, brought me in. And, and I, that's that's kind of how I got into the college arena. That's great. You know, now I'm going to throw this out to parents, but another thing you said, uh, and very much like me, you were basically hungry for getting some instruction, but most of the motivation was done by you and by you uh, calling to show you owned your career. You owned your career is what I'm looking for. Right. Uh, Parents out there, this is the 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 old story about the GPS. If you give somebody a GPS and they go ten days in a row to the same destination, you take the GPS away. They don't know how to get there. And uh, no, the I, same you, thing. You used to tell a story at your at your camps to the parents about the little Dutch boy or German boy or right. something like that, who who uh, his mother drove him, you know. 300 times over the course of a year and then he finally got his license and he drove once and he was late and got in trouble with his coach and his coach asked why were you late and he's like i got lost and the kid was he was asked, well, how'd you get lost you've been here so many times and the kid was like well i've never driven myself before i, I remember that story like it was yesterday hey paul paul you know how good that makes me feel you know how long it's been uh, since i did a camp back back in those days uh so anyhow that's exactly what the story is and exactly the the point is that you owned what you were doing, and as much as I want to be involved in my son's baseball, I just oh my golly, I want to. Know, I, I've seen sports enough where I go, well, you, want, you could do that. You don't know. They have to own it. They have to own the successes, and they have to own the mistakes. You know. So you know, I mean, that's 
That's really great. So, talk. Then you went on to you got your job interview at Brevard College. Uh, yeah. I, I, I suppose then, right? Yeah. So I was uh, had been sending out resumes, and at that point in time, there were some smaller schools, which which that was fine with me. I, I was kind of willing to jump at, at at whatever opportunity that I that I had, and I went up to Brevard College and interviewed. And it was another situation where, you know, I kind of started the high school program and got it running. They were – Brevard had been a junior college, and a few years before they'd gone to a four-year school, and they'd been a good junior college tennis program and with athletics and everything. Um, but they were – there was a – had been a men's program for one year, and there was a kind of coach come in and came to start it, and they were starting a women's program. And they had a great facility um, – tiny little town i mean you, you've been up there and, and saw we did oh, a camp up here at one time and uh you know it was a it was a good fit the athletic director liked me and kind of liked what i had to say and my vision about kind of getting things going and uh you know we spent the first year i did the same thing well, you know i didn't have time to recruit i was hired in, in mid-july and got up there we had a season the next year so there were two girls high school players um, that that uh, you know weren't even the best players on their team that were on the team and past that on the women's team I went through the basketball and volleyball and dorm rooms and and handed girls rackets and said you know <laughs> if, if they grabbed it anywhere near a continental grill you know I said come on come on, come play tennis and that's how we got started the first year I think we I think we won I think we won four matches that first year on the women's side the, men, the men's team was pretty decent but I think we won four matches that first year on the women's side. Yeah. Well, you know, a thing you want to make sure you talk about is that, uh, you know, the young young boy, you might have had a little bit to do with getting him started. But, you know, Kenny Lovett was a, is a pro that's been on oh, our yeah. uh, teaching pro yeah. that's been on our program two or three times. Corey grew up to be one of the best players in the United States, and he went, of course, to Alabama, and then he was, I think, an All-American there, and he's out on the pro tour playing. But, um, you know, what, I mean, look, that that hub up there has some has some great tennis, you know, and you you did a you oh, had yeah, a part absolutely. to it too. But uh, yeah, well, and I, I remember Corey, I, and I remember him him coming to our camps a couple of times when you when you came up there. A little, little ten eleven year old kid, little guy, and you know had good hand eye coordination. wasn't much of an athlete, but. Uh, you know, he, he worked hard, and, and his dad and I always had a really good – I think his, and his dad's still up there in, in Cashers Valley or wherever it is up there. Still yeah, teaching, yeah. I think it is. Um, but, yeah, that was that was a good experience for me. And it, it, was a, it was a good place for me to land because it, it was a place where I could make mistakes and nobody would know the difference except for me, and I could make corrections. And it was really – the only place we could go was up. Um, and, you know, I, I contacted you and a couple of other coaches out there that had, had had some experience to get some ideas from. And, you know, I, one of the things I write my, about, about my book is, you know, one of the things I did that year, it was kind of really before the Internet got big and YouTube and all that, but, you know, sending out 600 letters a year to, to players all across the country. I mean, you wow. know, uh, that I was signing myself just for recruiting and, you know, we I wasn't really recruiting local kids. My my women's team the next year was California and Michigan and Texas, and we were getting players from, from all over the country coming coming in there to that kind of <laughs> tiny little school. But that's that's the way you had to do it, you know. And just kind of you had to, you had, like you said, you had to own it and kind of sell out to it. But you also kind of had to love it, and um, it was in my blood and 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 and, uh, and what I wanted to do. I, mean, I, I remember that the first kid I signed. Um, a boy from from San Antonio, Texas, Andrew Thompson. Um, he called me. His dad called. They had flown out um, to see the campus, and the football program was just starting as well. And the football coaches' offices were right next to mine. And I remember hanging up the phone, and they were recruiting frantically like I was, hanging up the phone and giving a couple of big claps and and giving a yeah and a couple of coaches come running across football coaches running across all did you get one you got one you got one <laughs> excited for me is is what I was for them when they were uh yeah. you know when they were they were getting players so um yeah that was you know was a fun um, time oh my gosh you know you you remind me of so many of the things that uh, you know I I did as well starting out I used to get the the whole sheet from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I'd go down there. I'd call every 
player I could, and and you'd spend hours doing it. And now I think the work ethic. There's two things. When these computers first came in, people said, "Well, it's going to make a like a three day work week. Things are going to be so much easier. You're going to have much leisure time." No, we all know that it. Uh, Kloss, uh, everything's paralysis by analysis now. There's just too many, too much going on in the Internet. But people have not used, had to use the sweat. So to separate yourself, you were able to separate yourself from tons of other coaches who either didn't want to do the work or didn't see the benefit or weren't in love with it enough. You were able to separate yourself. So um, that's one of the things now that is really just uh, disappointing. But here's the other point: for kids, kids don't kids now get on the internet and see if there's shortcuts to doing stuff. And it looks like there is. It looks like there's some magic dust out there, but still, it doesn't beat parents out there listening. It does not beat the sweat that of, of you when you when you own something like this, you know. So. Paul, let's finish up about the college part. We got we got to talk about your book. So uh, you were at uh, uh, Alabama Huntsville there. How many years did did you do I that? Was at, uh, I was at yeah. So I went I went from Brevard. I spent five years at Brevard and then went out to Drake yeah. University in Des Moines, Iowa. I was there for three yep, yep, years. That's right. Then, oh golly, I forgot all about that. That's right. That's yeah, right. that was that was that was a rough period for me out there. You know, going I went through yep. a divorce and and that sort of separation. Yep. Well, so that kind of took a, right. took some wind out of my sails, but. Um, coming back, I was able to get back to, to Huntsville um, and had an opportunity to come back to Alabama. I was there for six years. Um, it was kind of one of those programs, too, another one of those programs that really hadn't done much. It, was, it wasn't a, a, a start from scratch, but it was definitely, I won't even say a rebuild, it was a build. Um, never really had, had done anything with the program. I was the, really the the second full-time coach to the program that I ever had, and the one that was there before me had only been there for a year. Um, I think he came in like in December, January, and then left in the middle of the next season. Uh, for, for I don't remember remember why, but um, you know, so I, I came in. It was, like I said, it was close to home and an opportunity to 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 get back to work and um, you know, I, I really built something from scratch again. So uh, that it was a good experience, wow. but uh, you know that that kind of came to an end last spring with the COVID and budget cuts and all that. We were one of the programs that got uh, that uh, dissolved because of whatever. I think you want to uh, over the thirty. We lost over thirty programs, or maybe more. Oh no, it was that, it was it was division division three NAI to, to, to all the way up to division one. It was more like seventy programs. Um, Seventy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, through the course of the no year. Idea. Um, yeah, there was Terrible. there was a lot of them. Um, which you know, it was kind of getting off track That's, of the book. But I mean, mo- most of those programs, in my mind, the paperwork was already in the in the drawer. Um, right. And the but COVID today, and all, well, we we could excuse. talk about that's another program. But that's 700 kids. That's 700 programs, 700 per kids if you have 10 per team. Now, folks yeah. out there listening, look, I've said many times I'm not uh, against international players being here, but it sure should not be 80% of our players. I mean, and the point being is that that's 700 kids not playing, but 700 American kids opportunities. And, again, one of our sleeping giants – is that what's a huge sleeping giant is that we need to have uh, recruit Americans first and get to the place where, especially in a lot of the schools, but it's so, so hard to compete now because we're competing in a world market. That's a wholly, whole different subject. Folks, go back to one of my programs. We'll talk about that an, another time. But uh, anyhow, all right, Paul, we got to go to a quick break, and then okay. uh, we will – be back here in in a, in a second uh, with American Tennis. We need to talk to Paul about his his book, uh, Standing Outside the Lines, and uh, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and we will be right back in a minute.
and is Coach Chuck Creasy. And I wanted to remind you that my book, Coaching Tennis, now in its 20th year, is still out and on the shelves. Go to Amazon and ask and look up Coaching Tennis, along with my other tennis books that I've had over the year. But Coaching Tennis, I'm most proud of. It's recently been named the third-ranking instructional coaching book in tennis in in all of history. And uh, it's been out there a long time. We've got over 40,000 copies out and around the world. Folks, go to Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy. My website is www.chuckcreasy.net. Coaching Tennis. And this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and we're back with Coach Paul Thompson. And uh, Paul uh, has a new book out, and I, I think it's going to be released here in the next few months, uh, and, it, and it's called Standing Outside the Lines. And, uh, Paul, I want to go into a little bit about the book, and, and uh, I love the fact that you start with the quotes. I love with the examples. The stories are always good, but... Your, your chapters, um, talk about, you've been working on this a long time, but I want to talk about yeah. the, the, the chapters, too. Go ahead about the evolution of this whole project. So this actually started, I, I started dabbling to this when I was at McAdory High School. Um, it was a crow of Christmas break, and I'd been, you know, you, you, you write stuff down and you take notes and you have your journal entries. And I had two weeks sitting around Christmas break one time, and I just started pumping out chapters. And they were not very good, uh, you know. But over the years, uh, I have have changed and adapted and and added to and deleted. Um, Had some people look at it along the way, and why don't you do this and go that route. And, you know, I wanted to do it, do something back then, but I I just didn't feel like I had the experience or the knowledge or the education or, you know, to, to, to produce something. So, you know, it, it has been an ongoing project over, you know, literally 20 years. And then I picked it up again a while back and added to it while I was at Brevard and then a little bit when I was at Drake. And then I, I set it down again. Um, and then this past year when the COVID set in and we had, you know, programs had been shut down and, you know, athletics and everything, I opened it back up. And the last chapter that I left off with, was a chapter a little bit chapter a little bit later in the book that was called finish what you started and i was like oh okay well there you go so i picked it up again and compiled all my notes and uh you know our our biz, our, our office was actually was closed at, at uah but I, i'd sneak in during the day and go up to my office and spend three or four hours a day up there going through stuff and um hashing out the chapters and wrote a few new chapters um, and, and I sent it out to a few people, um, just to kind of get a pre-read and they were, you know, and, and, and coach, coach Bobby Bayless was, was one of them. And he was like, Paul, you got something here. I think you'd stick with this. And it was coming from him. That was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So, um, I, I got with a couple of people that knew a little bit more about writing than I did, um, locally and talked to them. And, uh, about, April, I, I finished it up and got as, got as far as I could get, and that was right about the time um, that I started looking for other jobs and ended up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at the North River Yacht Club, which has been, which has been very good so far uh, in August, and I contacted one of the English professors, and he said, well, I've got a good graduate student here that might, might be able to use as an editor, and uh, Tony has been phenomenal, and we've worked through this thing since middle of September and gone through it three times. And, uh, it's, it's finally to where, um, I, I'm, I'm ready to get it out and, uh, look, looking forward to it. Well, you know, there's a couple things that you know, I, I, it used to be that nine out of 10 people 
that you would meet out somewhere and say, I'm going to write a book, or I'm writing a book. Well, they don't. <laughs> and the reason yeah. why, first of all, it's really, really hard. It's not something that you just say, hey, I'm going to write a book, and you put something. It takes, as you've explained, years in the, in a lot of different um a lot, a lot of different experience, life experiences pack, come and go, and there's a lot of different viewpoints, and there's a lot of different things. And then finding the format is is a huge part. Now, on top of that, after you get it done, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to put things out there in front of people and say, here you go. You're going to like it or not like it, and this is this is what it is. And then yeah, last, that, that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just no, no, that, that was that. that Your guess. Go ahead. Going there. My head. Yeah, that's one of the things that's just going going through my head lately. Is like I've kind of always been a guy that kind of had walls up. I, you know, I could have a conversation with a coffee pot, and they've always gotten along with everybody pretty much that I knew. But just that the independence of myself and just kind of had those walls and barriers up and you've kind of, you know, I've talked about those things over the years, but I was thinking about this the other day. There's no more walls and barriers now because it's out there. Um, you, you so bet. I think this is, you, is as much therapy for me as it is maybe being able to help some other people and give them some perspective on what it's like to be a coach and a teacher and, and, and player. And, you know, a lot of the lessons that I've learned over the years, yeah, and you bet. And folks, this is the thing: the the biggest barrier. The, the, it was really, really hard to write the books that I've written. Uh, the first one took ten years. I hand wrote it. Didn't have computers back then and things, so uh, to, uh, it was uh, total tennis training back, and it came out about '88. Now the point was, I'm just using it to uh, tell you that I that why I respect what you've done so much. It's really, really, really hard. Then it takes really, 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 I think I said really enough times, a lot of courage to put yourself out there, and you're completely naked. I mean, you are. Now you're open where people can criticize and judge you. Maybe some people just have big enough egos where they just say, hey, people want to read what? No, it's like... So I spent, Paul, I can't tell you, I mean, and uh, people out there, I prayed nonstop that, Lord, help me write the things that I'm supposed to write that you want me to write and not not the things that might just be glitter, glittery or flashy or something like that. Right. Take this book where it's supposed to be. And the way that I got past the uh, self-indulging part or the, the, the fears would just said if I only sell four four copies in the whole world, you know, please put them in the right hands. And I know you've gone through this. And then last, here's the thing, too. You're not doing this for money. You do not make uh, yeah, much no. money on, on books. You know, yeah, nowadays no, I, it's, it's – go ahead. No, I, the other thing I was going to say, too, is is what what you were saying, getting over the fear, is I, I just – at this point in my life have come to the conclusion that even some of the people that we trust are going to talk crap about us sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's just, that's just the, just the facts of it. And, you know, people are going to like you repeat. And that's one of the things I say in here, like me, love me, but just don't act like you like me if, if you don't, you know, and that's, that's perfectly okay. Be true. Yeah. It, here's good people. I always said, uh, I always felt there was a law of reciprocities in getting your work out there, Paul, because I always said good people will use it and be grateful bad people will never look at it anyway and they'll just say yeah. hey I, I i could have done that so the law of reciprocity folks means that whatever you give give out it'll you'll get back 10 times that's the way uh, the law of the universe the good lord works things so you've got we or we must give away paul all the things that we have learned and all the experiences because we are here to help other people let's get into the chapters here Standing outside the lines, I loved your quote, being on the verge of greatness or, or being uh, nowhere is really the same place, and it's decide, it's completely decided on what you do next. You know, right. and uh, I, I thought that was a great, great quote. Uh, uh, the amount of talent that is, never comes to fruition in our country 
we have a lot of sleeping giants, right? Do you want to talk about oh, yeah. that at all? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's it's there, there's so many people out there with potential, and and it's <clears> those opportunities that we get that people either don't take because they're afraid to, or they don't see them when they come along. And uh, at some point, it's it's about the choices that you make and how you respond, not not react to those choices. And that's that's one of the things that I try to outline is with some of the stories and stuff. And here it's. You know, the world's not always a fair place, but people aren't necessarily out to get you either. And, you know, you, you one of the things you used to talk about, and I use tennis a lot with this, is, you know, tennis is a game that teaches you how to, how to lose. And 64 kids in a tournament, there's only one winner. Um, and you can do all the right things. You can win more points, win more games than your opponent, and you can still lose the match. And you can still make all the right decisions in life and still not be – where you you thought you were going to be because life happens sometimes um and it's it's nothing against you it's just it's just kind of the, how the things work but then it comes down to how you react to those situations that you're given and again that's that's choices your chapter the revolving door of success and failure and how they're the same thing pretty much speaks to that correct yeah, no, and that's that's the the revolving door is one of the I, I wrote that chapter when I was at, at Drake University. I wrote that. It was actually a, started out as an article for uh, TennisRecruiting.net, and I was talking about how as college coaches, you know, I, I see myself as a revolving door, and you get those kids for four years, and each one of those chambers of a door, as you get them, and they go back home, and then that last time you get them, it sends them out into the real world, and you know, as coaches and teachers. When those those college players are away from home. I mean, we're kind of what they have, um, and we have to look out for their 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 safety and their well being and their development, and making sure they're doing they're getting their grades and their academics and pushing them to the point that, you know, they're trying to maximize that that potential and that talent that you were talking about that that so many of them have. Right, exactly, and uh, in each one of those revolving doors, what a great analogy that is, uh, each each one of those chambers has those different experiences, and that's primarily what I was speaking to earlier uh, when I said, you know, college really does need to be the entertainment, excuse me, I got it backwards, <laughs> the educational uh, process and the goals of, of the education, we sort of mucked it up. With uh, in tennis, for example, uh, and I'd like to give an idea that um, my friend, uh, actually Randy Blumendahl, gave me uh, a couple days ago. He said, you know, marketing people get it all wrong. Football may have a large regional audience or even a national audience. Basketball, definitely just a regional audience. In other words, People might travel 100 miles to a basketball game. They might travel 500 for a football game. But they'll go. Right. But then if you get baseball, that's even less of a regional audience. The ADs need to understand that if you're within 10 to 15 miles, you go to a baseball game, but not 50, probably not 50 miles. But then the sports, the non-revenue or minor sports or Olympic sports, whatever you want to call them, that sounds politically correct, you know, but we used to call them minor yeah. sports. But the tennis and the volleyballs and the and the field hockeys and the soccer and all these sports, they're local events. In other words, you've got to build your base of fans locally, locally, just right there around your uh, your area. So you know, my point is is that the education part of it becomes the most important part of what we're doing. We are a, yep. like a college professor. We're college professors, and we're teaching leadership skills, and we're teaching youngsters how to find fight pro, find uh, fight problems that they have, and how to deal with succeeding, how to deal with failing. And uh, we get it so messed up when we try to go toward the, edu- the entertainment route instead. You know, I mean, your your career is a testament to that. You've been a teacher at every level. You know, yep. so. Well, that's, but, uh, that's why I did it. I mean, I you know I didn't. It wasn't about the you know, the wins and the losses, and those are great, and I got a lot of memories with those. But the, the a lot of what I talk about in my book are the relationship 
moments and the and the building moments and the breakthrough moments and the moments where one of your kids gets it or or you know you see them develop over the course of four years from the kid who's always late to practice and and for the road trips to the kid that comes up to you, the same kid that comes up to you four years later and um they're they're totally transformed into to a young adult that's responsible and they're teaching the ones that are now uh, where he was four years ago, being late and un, unorganized and that sort of stuff. And that, that's the stuff that I remember the most. It's it's the personalities and the people and the names and the faces. Um, I, you know, I I don't remember what my first win was as a, as a head coach, Chuck. I don't I don't remember who the team was. I, I, no. I don't know that, but I can I can I can give you every name of the girl the girls and guys that were on those first two teams that I coached. Of course, and you remember their personality traits too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so anyhow, the 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 chapter standing in motion. Time is the wisest counselor of all. You know, standing in motion. That's all about the learning process, correct? Yeah, the the, the learning process and how you know time is really the only restrict that we that we have i mean you know we we we've we we're born we live we die but you know you may have time on the clock and, and you may have deadlines but that that's 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 the really to me the only only drawback or the, the only finite thing that we have that is restrictive um to to what we're capable of is is, is time and it's it's managing your time using your time wisely but almost you know also you know how productive you can be in the time that you're giving. Um, and it goes back to that, that point too, where, uh, you know, you're given your opportunities and you don't take those chances and that's, that's missed time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other, I want to, well, first of all, we're, we're going to do it a couple of times, but tell us, tell everybody how to get the book. It'll be, when, when do you think it'll be out? Six months, Paul? Think, or? No, no, no. It's we're I've I've got I've already got the uh, the Kindle version is on uh, is out is Amazon dot com right now. It's yeah. it's out for pre sale right now. It's going to be coming out March fifth. March fifth. Um, okay. So yeah. So the the hard copy might be uh, a little after that. I've still got a couple of things that I'm working on with pricing and and some other stuff with the hard copy. But the pre sale available right now on Kindle. Um, from Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon.com, um, huh. but it will be out. Uh, I, I, and I, I picked March, March 5th. I mean, that's that's my that's my 50th birthday. So um, I figured that's a that's a milestone. So I'd, I'd maybe take two milestones out at at one time with publishing my first book and uh, you know celebrating my 50th birthday. What you say about time is right on the money. And as you get older, I always say the wind, rear, rear view mirror gets bigger and your windshield gets smaller. You've got to, the way you stay young is to keep that windshield <laughs> as big as the, no, yeah. as big as the rear view mirror. You know? Absolutely. You've got to keep looking forward to, to that next journey that you're making and what you're trying to do. And, uh, uh, you know, the other way it's it's pretty crummy if you have to look in the rearview mirror at at uh, a bunch of uh, fog that's back there. <laughs> you know, no, yeah. And, well, uh, and and you can cherish those memories or you can dwell on the past. But whether it's whether it's me or uh, somebody half my age, uh, what you've got is in front of you, and it's yeah. it's it's what you do with those opportunities. And it it goes back to that quote that you read. Uh, you know, being on the verge of greatness and being nowhere at all is at the exact same place. It's just a matter of where you decide to go next. And if you stare in the rearview mirror constantly, you're 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 never going to go anywhere. We got about five minutes. I want to ask you here to sort of. I've, I've I always talk on our program about the sleeping giants of tennis in the U.S. Of course, tennis has made a resurgence somewhat because it's. The safest sport you could play out there. You know, nobody gets this well, disease playing uh, playing tennis. So golf and tennis are doing pretty well. I don't know archery maybe and some other stuff, walking and jogging. But um, we we need we need some uh, resurgence here of, of tennis in any way. The sleeping giants I put down are high school tennis, small town tennis, uh, of course. 
uh, ages 22 to 35, there's nothing for players who played in college. They sort of commit tennis suicide afterwards. The older people, it's a sleeping giant. I just think that the marketing for pickleball, it's uh, the symmetry works, and tennis does not. We've got to work on the symmetry of the sport for older people to get out uh, the tennis again. And then I always harp on it's it's you. It's you out there. You're a sleeping giant locally and starting stuff in your community. What else do you see um, as our sleeping giants uh, out there? Or would you like to comment on those that I've talked about? You mean just, just in the tennis world or just – In the tennis for, world. For what we're trying to – yeah. The I, tennis well, world. Well, you know, I look at that, that demographic that you said, that, that 24 to, to 33, 34 range where there's just really nothing for them. Um, unless they're just going to keep playing tournaments, or you got a few of those college guys or girls that are going to go, you know, uh, mill around with in the futures and stuff for a while. But I mean, that, that's a huge demographic, that, like you said. I mean, it's kind of tennis suicide. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the what the best way to to attack that is as far as keeping those involved, unless you know league stuff or whatever, but I mean, I, I, I will be the first, I mean, this is my first time in, in, in club tennis full time. Um, and, you know, Tuscaloosa, you obviously got the university of Alabama here. Um, but the lower younger at eight to 15 range, there's a bunch of kids playing here. And then you've got right after the college age, there's not many. It's the same thing. And then you hit that 35 to 50 level, and there's a bunch of people playing again. So there's that big gap in the middle that, you know, if there's, if somebody can come up with some ingenious ways to, to – I don't want to use the word market, but promote um, some sort of outlet to keep those people involved um, – you know, you wouldn't have that stopgap quite so much like what you're talking about. And and I you know, and I haven't fully made up my mind what I think about pickleball yet. I think it's a it's a great way to obviously generate revenue for your clubs and and that sort of stuff. But um, I, you know, I've I've never played it um, personally. I, I see people playing it all the time and see it on YouTube and and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. But um, I'm kind of like you. I'm a I'm a tennis purist and. Uh, don't have anything against it per se, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that middle group that, that we've got and, and, and honestly, you know, there's so many other things out there now for the younger ones too. And even the ones that are doing tennis, they're doing soccer and they're doing baseball and they're doing golf and they're doing, you know, whatever else. So from before it's, it's um, at some point they're going to, so like we were talking about, some of them are going to weed themselves out, but that, that, tennis suicide group that you were talking about seems like a big demographic to me that they're, you know, a way to keep those people involved and those players coming out of college involved. Um, to, to, to well, that's without a doubt. I, I, I think probably it would be money tournaments. You get, you get youngsters, young people coming out of college and they still want to play competitively there. They don't believe yeah. that their career is over, that they can't make the jump to the ATP tour or, or the WTA tour, they they want to keep playing. So, uh, yeah. you know, a few years back, uh, Steve Bellamy, who was the guy who was, um, made Tennis Channel, he was the first guy, he had the idea of having an American-only circuit, you know, American players, because the sport being international, not just do international players dominate the – uh, the college ranks, they also dominate our professional tournaments. But if we had right. an American-only only tournament uh, circuit, uh, I think that that would be huge. People would locally play, and I think you know, whether you have great prize money or, or not. you know. So, But that's a good right. idea, and anybody out there get great ideas, right? people ages 22 to 20, 35, we we need them, and then we need a resurgent high school tennis, small town tennis, and and we need y'all to go out and buy Coach Paul Thompson's book, um, Standing Outside the Lines. And Paul, it's been great to have you on the program today. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> a lot of education there. No, you know, yeah, so Jay, we, it's always good you. to spend time with you, and uh, I, I hate the fact that our our demographics are so far away from each other. Some of the best memories I have is 
is sitting in your backyard during the summer after tennis camps and just talking <laughs> about life. So um, well, I've, I've you. appreciated your friendship over the years and, uh, and your guidance and, and what you do for the game of tennis. And uh, any, any time uh, I'd be, I'd love to sit down and just and chew the fat with you and, and, uh, and hang out. Well, we'll do it again. If you don't give it all away after 60, folks, you look like a burnout rock star looking for a new gig. So, Paul Thompson, you're giving it all away with your book there. We really – I don't know where I came up with that one. But, but any, anyhow, anyhow, it's been great. And the folks want to remind you you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. And we'll see you next week on American Tennis. Tattooed on his hip song Spent a little more in the store For a tag in the back of this year